0: Welcome to season 3 of the M-W Tactical Podcast. Sit back and enjoy the conversations with the math scientist and myself as we discuss the sport of shooting, goals, training, and everyday life. You are listening to the M-W Tactical Podcast. All right, good people. We're back at it again. Another installation of the M-W Tactical Podcast. And I do want to thank everybody for coming on and listening with us, um, especially our international audience. That right there pretty much makes the mass scientists of myself smile when people from around the world are listening to us yeah. talk about our adventure within the gun community. Uh, we also want to remind everybody that the South Carolina section is taking place. April 30th through May 2nd, registration is open now. And you can even squad and all the shebangs that come with it. But please head on over to Practice Score and look for the South Carolina section that's taking place April 30th through May 2nd in Belton, South Carolina. Once again, registration is open now. Without further ado, I want to bring in my buddy, the one who I like shooting with the one who I always call a nag, the one who I always bust with the question and he has the answer. This guy has the knack around machinery. He has knack around knowledge.
1: He even cooks,
0: he cleans. Oh, don't tell people that. (laughs) Once again, (laughs) wanna welcome the mad scientist, my buddy Dave to the show. What's going on Dave? Hey Mike, how are you? I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good. Um, woke up from a nap not too long ago. Had a great workout. I'm, I'm getting ready. I'm getting ready. Yeah? Yeah, Oh, well, good. Good, good. Yeah. So that's one of my focuses um, for 2021 is... Um, More napping? No, no. Getting back in the shoes. Because <laughs> um, when I was in the military, my focus was always working out because you pretty much had to stay ready at any given notice. Oh yeah, sure. You know, And even though I was in the conventional army and it being all my units were infantry units, our PT standards was pretty high. Um, even when you're looking at it from the military scale, you can get 300 on a PT test. That's the max you can get on a PT test. And a conventional unit, infantry unit um, some units was doing 270, other units was doing two eighty, you know. Um, and even if you look at it across the board in the army, the average is two ten. You know, mm. you pretty, pretty much can just fall take a nap on the PT test, wake <laughs> up and still pass it. <laughs> You know, but they changed the standards to the PT test. So um they got some new PT system now, but I'm glad I'm out because it's more events that you had to do versus the three events that we had. But one thing I do remember is that when i was in the army being in shape it kept my thoughts clear i was able to perform at the drop of a dime and at the same time i felt really good you know so yeah yeah
2: that would that would be the last thing i would want to worry about is physical fitness when you're when you're concerned about combat right Uh, yeah i would i would really want to make sure that i was ready to go at any time too
0: yeah so i'm i'm thinking more along the lines of taking that mindset into the 2021 season and of course you know i'm beating it up at the gym um doing my little workouts at the house doing my dry fire you know and especially after a good workout like i had um yesterday had a great workout and then today doing a little bit of dry fire i was like all over the place you know (laughs) my reloads wasn't working right for me because my arms are still kind of yeah like baby
2: deer legs so (laughs) It's tough over here. It's tough to combine them together at the same time. Yeah.
0: So, but the best part about it is, is um, the more I do it, the better I'm I'm going to get with it. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. You know. So um, I'm looking forward to that one, and um, I think that's going to step up the performance in 2021 overall.
2: I think so. We we touched on it on a previous episode, but that's that's you know part of my plan for the for the upcoming year too. Um I'm gonna really try to focus you know, more on the physical fitness side of myself. Right. And now
0: um I know that you uh, mentioned that you was gonna link up with Travis and mm-hmm. he was gonna talk more nutrition with him, but I couldn't remember if you said you was gonna talk fitness with him or did you had your own routine when it comes to fitness.
2: Um, well, yeah, I'm gonna talk with him about that after um Christmas, after you know, we get calmed down from the Christmas break, and I'm going to get in touch with him, and we're going to come up with a fitness and nutrition uh, plan. Gotcha. And uh, you know, yeah. see, get something started, see how it goes. You know, we may change something out throughout the year, or you know, as right. I progress, or hopefully. Mm-hmm. But uh, we'll see. And we're going to get something started.
0: Yeah, you know, one thing I didn't do—not um, to jump off topic or anything. I have yet to look at the matches that are coming up for 2021 and make a determination which matches I want to shoot.
2: I actually looked or I tried to look a little this morning, and there's, there's not much out okay. there yet.
0: Oh, okay. So we still got time then. Um, I know um, earlier today, Coach B had hit me up, and she had asked which matches was, was I planning on doing. And I told her I was planning on doing Nationals, so looking at the calendar right now, I do know Nationals is taking place in October, Mm -hmm. October 20th, so I know I want to do that one. I know I want to do Area 6 also.
2: Yeah, that one has a date already. You can't register yet, but um, some of the area matches are already up on the USPSA website. Registration isn't open for anything, but. You can at least get some date ideas.
0: Yeah, and one thing I did do um, earlier this year for all the major matches I was doing, I laid it all out on a clipboard, all the matches I wanted to do, and it it worked out for me like that. I'm just not remembering everything. I'm literally jotting everything down and um, literally making detailed plans as to, I want to go here, I want to go there. But I, I do want to take it out of the norm of what we did this year, next year. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like maybe do one in West Virginia and one in Utah or something different.
2: Yeah. So there's uh area five. I was, I was looking at for next year. I tried to do that this year. I I did that same thing. Beginning of this year, I, I sat down and we have a, uh, my wife and I have a big calendar that's on the kitchen counter. And, you know, I'm I made notes of all the matches, you know, and scheduled everything on a calendar, but then the, the year got so screwed up. The matches were rescheduled and canceled, and I I lost track, man. I forgot that I was registered for matches that, that I already was, and I, <laughs> this year was confusing. Um, normally, you know, you don't have to deal with that stuff, but uh, right. this this one's a little different. But I, I try to do that, too. I look at the beginning of the year and then try to plan plan, plan it out.
0: Yeah, so let's – um. Sometime next week, let's sit up sit down and actually plan it out at least three to four matches, yeah, um, and good. then figure out which ones we wanna hit up. We need to go to Alabama,
2: yeah, I've been talking about that.
0: I can't remember somebody says something was taking place in Alabama next year, like Talladega area,
2: yeah, there's several oh, that's
0: what yeah, that's what nationals, nationals is taking there. place, yeah,
2: nationals and then I think there's uh world speed sheet maybe steel challenge thing um oh yeah, yeah, I don't there, there's a good bit going on in Alabama, but you and I talked about going to um the East Alabama buckle club, club there. area,
0: yeah, yeah, we could definitely do that one I know um coach B enjoyed that facility also, you know, but then again, like I said, there's premier challenge you know competition there also that'll be good, be fun. Yeah. Yeah, I think it will be. I think it will
2: be. I have to wait till I get my uh, primary gun back, though. I sent oh, it yeah. off.
0: I was, I was going to ask you about that early, um, later on in the show, but since you already bought it up, um, you sent yeah. it off because you needed to get a new grip. I'm sad. If I remember.
2: I'm sad about it. This is the longest we've been apart
0: since we've met. <laughs> And I'm not really <laughs> sure
2: how to handle this. All right. So
0: <laughs> go ahead and tell the good people why are you separated from <laughs> this inanimate object? It's, it's really, it's hard to talk about, but um, I'll
2: try. Uh, so <laughs> I bought a uh, custom limb cat gun uh, at the beginning of the year. Well, I bought it last year, but I, if I took delivery of it at the beginning of the year and I shot it all year. And um, the the grip shape I kind of struggled with; it just didn't fit my hands quite right. Um, and uh, you know, after a year of use, there, you know, there's some wear on the gun. And Limcat, the the gun shop offers to um, go through the gun, you know, once a year, you know, replace any parts that are worn or, or need replacing, and then they'll refinish the whole gun. But while they're doing that, I, they're going to replace the grip for me with one that's a little wider. Um, should fit my hands a lot better, and I won't have to. I won't have the struggle I did with um, just the thumb safety was an issue because of the position of my hands on the grip, and I kind of fought with that all year. But um, it, it was a great gun. I could not have asked for a better gun. The thing ran flawlessly. I never had an issue with it. Mechanically, um, it's just a fit personally for my hands and, and that grip shape.
0: Did you happen to get that gun at the beginning of the year? Because it doesn't seem like you had it for a year yet. Uh, yeah, it was February maybe.
2: I got it earlier in the year.
0: I remember when you showed it to me, but I was well. It was I know it was a warm day when you showed it to me, so that's, maybe that's why I'm thinking it was a summertime. But- maybe
2: I could have been march it was before summer
0: uh, but i was like yeah it didn't seem like it was that long wow so
2: it, it probably wasn't a whole year like 12 months but right right
0: well it's still but, that time frame you're still within that window yeah in my mind i look at a year as 10 months two days you know <laughs> it still stuck yeah. with me <laughs> yeah so um Actually, this week, we don't have an interview this week. So it's just you and I um, talking about the topics we're going to um, carry on with. And at the same time, last week, I stated I wanted to talk about something that resembles something of a red dot. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't know you knew what those things were. Well, you know, I'm kind of scared <laughs> of them in a the sense of speaking. But, um, but we're going to talk about that after this commercial break. And um I think it's gonna be interesting and I know you're gonna be more excited about it after I say what I'm gonna say.
2: I, I I like red dots. So let's talk oh, about yeah. it.
0: Trust me, I know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> but um please stay in your seats and here are a few words from our sponsors. Hey, this is Brian Conley at Hunter's HD Gold. If you've never tried Hunter's HD
3: Gold, then I challenge you to find me at a match next year. Go to the website under scheduled events, find out where I'm gonna be. Come meet me in person and demo a pair for yourself find out why shooters across the United States are changing the Hunters HD Gold to get 43% more light to their eyes, better contrast, eyes that are not fatigued at the end of the day based on the the colors that we use and find out the real meaning of why they change so you don't have to. So check us out on our website HuntersHDGold.com and I look forward to seeing you at the range soon.
0: JM4 Tactical has developed a state-of-the-art polymer holster that will quickly become your go-to holster. With high-quality Hermit Oak leather securely sewn to the interior of the molded outer boltron shell, your draw becomes silent and no more scratches up and down your firearm. When seconds count, you can rest assured that you will have the upper hand when you need it most. Whether you carry open or concealed, the Relic holster is available in four different models fitting over hundreds of different style guns. The new reliable, easy, light, individual carry holster by JM4 Tactical. Order your relic today at jm4tactical.com.
4: Are you in the market to purchase your first or next firearm, but find the atmosphere of a gun store intimidating, crowded, or uninviting? There's a way for you to purchase the gun you want while avoiding the crowds, the gruff salesmen, and the marked up prices that come with a brick-and-mortar gun store. The process is called a transfer, where the purchase is made in an online store or sent to a federally licensed middleman, called an FFL, who processes the paperwork and background check for a firearm purchase. CAE Transfers is the FFL with the lowest transfer cost in the Midlands at only $20 or $15 with the presentation of a South Carolina Concealed Weapons Permit and $10 for repeat customers. If you live in Columbia, South Carolina or its surrounding areas, choose CAE Transfers as your FFFL during checkout and let me help you complete your online gun purchase. You can find and follow CAE Transfers online at Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram using at CAETransfers. Thank you for your business and I look forward to seeing you soon.
0: All right, good people. We're back at it again and this is the week after Christmas and me and Dave just sitting right here chopping it up about gun stuff going into 2021 and what we're going to do. Um, As I stated earlier before the commercial break, I made a comment last week before we got off the show that I am considering running a red dot. But I originally told myself once I make master or A-class, I was dancing between the two. But once I made master, I was going to shoot Um, carry optics for a little bit and gave um, limited a break. After talking to a few people, a lot of people honestly believe that if you were to go to a red dot and then come back to iron sights, it will help out your shooting.
2: So, yeah, I've heard that. I've heard people say that. And I could kind of see where it might help you some for
0: certain reasons right but i don't think it will pan out like everybody says it does i mean like i never really done it to test it out to be honest so
2: yeah i don't know that it's like a magic thing that just automatically makes you shoot irons better but just from my experience with it when i i started uh went from production to carry optics when carry optics first became a division in um, USPSA or it was before it was actually a, an official division. They did like a a trial period for about a year, I think Um, carry optics and PCC kind of came in together Mm -hmm. as trial divisions before they were official. And I thought I was interested in trying to red dot and carry optics is an inexpensive way to get, to try a red dot on a pistol. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, of course I shoot open now. Um, but it's tough to, it's tough to make that commitment. Um, you're looking at several thousand dollars to get in an open division and right. without knowing you're going to really like it or not, that's, that's hard to, to, you know, It's hard decision to make. So right. it was easy when carry optics was introduced because you could, at the time they were, Pretty well, just stock factory guns, Glocks and MPs um, that you could put a red dot on and go shoot the division. And what I noticed from moving from irons to red dot and then back to irons um, or back and forth, you know, I still shoot some iron stuff too, but you, you get a lot more information visually um, when you're looking at, at a red dot on a target um than you do with irons it's a lot more precise mm-hmm. so you get a lot more information about what your gun is doing you know when at any point of the shooting if, while you're moving um you can see that red dot bouncing around a lot more than you could really notice your your iron sights moving around right um watching it under recoil you know you get a clear up and down movement um, as long as your gun's tune correctly but um, you know your red dots moving up and down and shaking you know side to side you get to see all of that that you can't see with irons I think that's what I got the most out of uh, initially moving from irons to red dot and then you can take that information back to irons because now you know what that gun is doing Um, even though you're not using the red dot anymore, you know, if you go back to irons, Hmm. you still know now you've learned um, from that extra information um, that the red dot gave you.
0: Hmm. Yeah, so what I was thinking about doing was pulling the Q5 out and Hmm. putting a hollow sun on the Q5, making a phone call, getting a Q5 still frame, and putting another Holosun on that one as well, so I do have the main gun and then a backup gun.
2: That sounds interesting. Yeah. I actually have a Holosun on order right now. Oh, which one? Um, five o seven. I think it's five o seven. Yeah, that's
0: that's one of them. I was. I don't know. At. I don't remember.
2: they all kind of numbers and letters, but <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, I was looking up that one, the hollow sun five Oh seven. Um, I can't remember if it was a C or K. Um, but I know it was a five Oh seven. And then I was looking at the four, four Oh seven.
2: This one is the, it's one I'm going to put on my, my carry gun actually. And it has the shake awake technology, the auto off. It has the dual, uh, Power. it's got the, the solar you know plate on the top plus the battery right um and it, it, it has the small dot and the big ring the 32 moa ring or whatever which i don't use that in competition but i think it would be you know a great addition to my carry gun i'm finally going to put a red dot on my carry gun which i've never done before right cool cool Looking forward to that. Red, I also have one coming back from Seymour. Um, I sent one off that I was having issues with. It was starting to flicker on me and go in and out on me. I sent it off, mm-hmm. oh man, oh, not even two weeks ago. Uh, t- and they have um, it was the Gen 4 uh, electronics, what I was using at Seymour. Mm-hmm. And uh, they have a Gen 5 circuit board now that has what they're calling hardened electronics i don't know exactly what they do they do i've seen some companies um are around will do some kind of epoxy that they pour it around the electronics to help you know stabilize everything in there to help eliminate a lot of the issues you have right with running an electronic site on a on a firearm but it's already on the way back i think they got it turned around and really quick i, I think wow
0: Yeah, so my overall game plan, like I said, is to dabble with um, carry optics. And I think what I might end up doing actually is playing around with it before I actually do it in competition. But right now, just go ahead and stick with limited until um, after nationals, at least, and see where I am performance-wise by that time. And I'm thinking I might be master by then, <laughs> you know, <laughs> high hopes. That sounds and, good. Yeah. And then at the same time, turn around and um, go ahead and get the hollow sun, put it on the Q5 and just go out and just, you know, plink around with it just to get used to it. Because there's been a couple matches where at local matches and I've seen people hunting for the red dot on the draw. So I don't want to be that guy. So, um That's like I so- said, when I actually get it and you know put it all together, um it's just going to take some practice getting used to it and all that good stuff.
2: So when I, when I first tried to read that, like you know, when carry and with carry optics, I hated it. <laughs> honestly, <laughs> uh, I was slower with it. Uh, I was faster with iron sights. um I really struggled with it, but it was just because I wasn't. I wasn't used to it it took me about three months to get really comfortable with the red dot, just coming out of the holster right. bringing the you know my normal index and and having the dot just be there just appear you know it, i didn't have to look around for it and it, i was doing that before three months time frame but I was very comfortable at three months and I finally felt like um, I was able to see an improvement and I definitely was faster with a red dot um, at that point. But it it took me several months to get there and I hated the thing at first. I really thought about taking it off the gun. (laughs)
0: Oh man. I I remember when I was in the army, when we first made that transition to um, optics with something on the reticle, like close quarter stuff, mm-hmm. and the aim point was the first optic I remember using before I, you know, did the ACOG and then the EO yeah, and, you know, all the other fancy stuff we was playing around with. But there were so many options there, and I remember it was one soldier having an issue with the aim point, like they could they had an issue with keeping their eye closed, so. I believe the people, the instructors were Delta Force anyway. They just tried to act like they were civilians, but they ended up closing the end cap, the outgoing end cap, Mm -hmm. you know, and kept the, the one that you're looking at open, looking through open. And now the person, the soldier was shooting with both eyes open and still hitting the target. And I found that to be fascinating. So I believe with optics, you have more options than you do than what you believe you do. But I don't know how that would carry over with carry optics on a handgun.
2: What, how long ago was that? That's pretty interesting that Mm. you mentioned that because that's actually becoming almost like a trend that I'm seeing now for people struggling and, and what they're doing with it now. And maybe it was the same thing then. It was, it forces you to stay target focused.
0: Right. This was back in maybe Instead of it
2: drawing your eye back to the the dot itself or the object itself. Yeah, this
0: this was back like 2000 2001
2: timeframe. So almost 20 years ago people mm-hmm. were doing that same thing. That's that's for some reason it's just maybe everyone's been doing it in USPSA and I just didn't know about it, but <laughs> it just seems like it's becoming a like a trend now to, as a, as a training tool. Um People are putting tape on the front of their red dot.
0: Yeah. And that's what I was going to say. Like, I wonder why nobody is doing that because even like when I shoot my AR-15 with the variable optic on it, Mm -hmm. um, if it's close quarter stuff, that's what I do. I close the end cap and do it with both eyes open because, you know, with the magnification on up, you have to close the one eye because you won't be able to focus on everything. But I was always wondering, like, because I wanted to say it one day at the range, but I didn't want to mess up like, your way of thinking of shooting. Um, like, well, why don't you put a piece of tape on it and just have both eyes open? Not to say yeah. I don't think you shoot with both eyes open, but...
2: I, I do, and I never really had much trouble with it, and that's just me, but I know that a lot of people do in it sounds like a really terrible idea when you say it out loud. Yeah. Why don't you cover up the front of your optic tape? <laughs> uh, how is that going to make you shoot better? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. But for some reason it, you can still see the, the reticle, the dot, whatever it is with your dominant eye um, usually. And, and that's another thing that sounds really crazy because you aim with your dominant eye, and some people are cross-eye dominant, you know, that may have to tilt their head a little bit to look down the sights or or tilt the gun a little bit. So essentially you're covering up the vision of your dominant eye, yet you're still hitting accurate shots on the target. And that sounds really crazy to me too.
0: Yeah, it's like when we was (laughs) first doing it back then, I was like, wow, that's pretty, you know, remarkable. You know, and it was just something that stuck with me over the course of years. So if it's like anytime I was doing like any close quarter stuff, that's what Mm -hmm. I would do. Because normally you you pick up that bad habit when you get behind an optic, you naturally want to close that one eye just naturally because you're behind it. But, um, well, once it's it's
2: magnified, you have to. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess you don't have to. You could probably train around it, but it's a lot easier.
0: Yeah. And. And like I said, when, whenever we would do anything close quarters, especially like running in a building or whatever, um, you can always have the option of looking over the site. But of course, you know, if you got the red dot, of course, you know, cover up the end. And then, of course, when you bring it up, because that's all reflects a fire anyway. And you don't really got to put no thought yeah. into it.
2: So, you know, our buddy Rob uh, Pops Quest on YouTube? Correct. He, um, we, sh- we shot that last Florida match on the same squad. And um, he had been experimenting with the, with covering up the front of his red dot on the carry optics gun, mm-hmm. and he shot. He actually shot a local match with it completely covered up mm-hmm. um, for the, for the whole entire match. I've practiced with it some, like in dry fire, but I've never been brave enough to try and shoot a whole match like that. But he did <laughs> it at the local match, and um, mm-hmm. when we went to Florida, he thought that you know, he, he was comfortable enough with it. He was, he took the tape off or I think he actually had it on a different gun on his backup gun or something. I don't remember, but he started the match with no tape on the dot and he was having trouble calling his shots on two stages. I said two or three stages. Hmm. Then he decided to, to, I think he switched guns to the one that had tape on it already. And he started, uh, he started shooting better like i just (laughs) i don't i don't quite understand it and it doesn't really i don't know it works for you know a lot of people that that maybe have a uh target focus issue i think that the you can get a dot that's too bright or too big and it's distracting and it pulls your eye to where you're focusing on the dot, which you don't need, to, you don't want to do. It's a little different with irons. Um, sometimes, with a you know real long or real precise shot, you really need to focus on the alignment of the front and rear iron sights, you know, to make sure you're aiming. Um,
0: I, believe, the, I believe. I do It's yeah, interesting. I believe that when you're actually looking at that sight picture, one closed, and you're just looking at the dot, and the other one you're looking at the target of course the two images because the way your eye is set up on that same plane your vision is eventually crossing over to each yeah,
2: other yeah it, it but, it's weird the way it works man but yeah, it does it just kind of blends in together and
0: yeah but when you, when you sit there and you think about it you'd be like man that sounds crazy yeah man. it does really
2: sound crazy <laughs> and
0: that's that was what i was going to focus on because i honestly believe by hunting for the dot like a lot of people do when they're shooting um well you know for Somebody like you, Brandon, and um, Tom, who's been doing it for a long time, it's second nature for y'all just to come out. the Yeah, host I, do. I don't, I don't have to think right about there. it anymore. But. Right. But somebody like me, who's probably newer coming into it, I think I would cover up that um the, the carry optic and then actually force myself to do it with both eyes open.
2: I think you it's a that. great idea, too. I wish I would have known about that or thought about that When I first started shooting carry optics, it maybe wouldn't have taken me three months to get used to a red dot.
0: (laughs) Yeah, so like I said, I still practice it right now. Um, I have a Vortex optic um, little scope. And of course, you know, it it goes from red to green. Mm -hmm. And every now and then I'll put it on the AR-15 and just sit there and just look at something. And I still practice that every now and then. Um, And when I say every now and then the last time I did that was probably the end of the summer. Yeah. You know um, but of course you know I'm focusing more on limited so I'm not really focused on karaoke stuff but it's just the fact that now that I'm thinking about it and even like last night when I was talking with Coach B she was even more like so what are you just gonna drop limited and you know I told her even though I made the decision that I wanna do carry optics sometime in the near future, I wanna be prepared. I wanna know the rules for carry optics a little bit better. I wanna know the options that I have to deal with in carry optics a little bit better, but I don't want it to be like it was when I first started shooting limited. You know, Even though mm-hmm. I started shooting limited with non-millimeter, I understood the rules, but I didn't understand the parameters of the 40 you know like the size of the magazines um some magazines you can squeeze 22 rounds in you know but you got to start off with 22 you can't reload to 22. No then you just (laughs) drop the mag on the ground. Yeah exactly (laughs) and it was like all those were learning lessons but but I want to know my options prior to doing it so I could just flow with it and it's not me trying to game it or think too much about the game versus the ability of just executing yeah. the stage
2: so there are a lot more options now than than there were when when I was shooting carry optics um, they've they've changed some of the rules on as far as equipment goes mm-hmm. um, so so yeah there's definitely a lot you know a lot of different stuff to to look at and investigate and learn about it's fun it's a fun game too
0: well I remember when I first got into shooting limited everybody was saying limited at that time was the fastest growing division now i believe that carry optics took that over
2: probably i i haven't seen any data on it but i i would believe that um because it's it's easier to get into um it's less expensive a lot of people already have the guns Mm -hmm um a lot of guns now factory guns are coming with slides pre-cut for optics um mm-hmm. that was that was kind of a a hindrance um when carry optics first started nobody nobody was offering a gun that you know you could buy off the shelf and it was ready to go for a red dot um you'd have to send it off to a gunsmith and they'd they'd have to you know mill the spot right. on the slide and then that usually requires refinishing the slide after you, you know, you cut metal away from it. And, you know, that would add another three, $500 just for, you know, machine work. Um, but now, you know, just about every gun, you can, every major manufacturer that um, s- s- offers a gun that you can use and carry optics has a, you know, a version that's ready for a, a red dot of some sort. Yeah.
0: Now I know the Q5, it came with those pre-cuts, And then it also comes with three different plates for the um, red dot that you're going to use.
2: Yeah. I don't know why they haven't come up with some sort of standard mounting um, for a red dot. Everyone wants to have a different mount, which doesn't make any
0: sense to me, but well, commercially it makes sense because it's going to draw more people to you. But of course, if you have the universal mount um, you can take the universal mount and always make it better. So yeah, I mean, like AR fifteen parts, they're all interchangeable. <laughs> yeah,
2: I, yeah, I don't know. So, I don't yeah. know.
0: Yeah, but that that would make more sense to have one universal, you know, plate, and then everybody I, can. Sell I think
2: it. so because what if you wanted to try a different dot? Right. If you're from a, um, the business side of it, if you're trying to sell your red dot to someone that has a gun that's milled for a different a competitor's red dot, but your mm. red dot doesn't fit that right. potential yeah. customer's gun. You can't sell it to them.
0: Yeah. Cause now you're just limiting your audience to.
2: Yeah. I don't, you know, I mean, they have the different product. plates now. They're making, I don't know. Mm. There just needs to be a standard. And, and I think we're getting toward that going toward that direction. The, um trijicon rmr i think has kind of been somewhat of this of the standard um for a few years now and i think a lot of people are, are trying to to you know use a similar mount. i don't know that's just one of my little <laughs> tangents got on here yeah. but
0: <laughs> well, actually i think what i'm gonna do is i'm gonna look for somebody who is heavy into carry optics and bring them on to the show and we're gonna. Talk the various options when it comes to carry optics, plates and different mounts and different red dots and everything else associated with
2: it. Rob might be a good guy to talk to about that because I think he has like five carry optic guns with a dozen different red dots and stuff he tried. <laughs> I, I don't know. I just found one that, that worked for me and I just stuck with it. But right. He's he experimented
0: with a lot of different stuff. Yeah. So that's, that's what it is. So, and I, I totally understand that once you find something you like, you just stick with it and you don't want to venture out from it because it works for you. Um, I'm the same way when it comes to a lot of things, just like when I got the STI, I call it big sexy. Everybody was saying, get the MBX magazines. Yeah. But, but I'm more partial to the STI magazines. You know, and I just don't know why, but when I look at an MBX magazine, I just don't think it's as sturdy as just looking at like how it's more rounded versus more corners, you know, and I think that's the one thing that plays in my mind, but I could be wrong. i never sat down and tried to compare the two or anything. It's just, I feel the STI magazines work better for me.
2: I had trouble with them. I really wanted the STI mag- magazines to work for me, mm-hmm. but I'm, I'm, I am was loading nine non-millimeter um, and I just could never get them to run for me. And I got the MBX mags and they ran great. Mm-hmm. But I have seen a lot of the F- STI mags in 40 that, that run just fine, um, you know, without any issues. I don't know why I had trouble with them. I just, the feed lips and I don't know. I tried tuning them and I felt like I'd have them running well and for a match or two. And then, then they would cause malfunctions again. I, I don't know. Finally, I, I went to MBX. And...
0: Yeah. And also, I honestly believe also that a lot of that has to do with maybe the gun manufacturer, how they make it. Whereas they might do their tests with one specific magazine and it works better with that one magazine. They just didn't, they'll probably recommend that magazine, but of course, when you listen to people talk, they'll tell you like, yeah, you get an MBX is ready to run out the box, you know? So, which is true. I've never had no issues with them. It's just when I'm holding them, I'm just like, I don't think this is as sturdy as the STI. So that the
2: gen two STI mags have a couple extra ribs, hmm. or like, like bins in them. And they do seem, you know, be really sturdy that way, add some rigidity with those extra right. um, ribs along the side. Now, I know what you're talking about. The MBX mags don't have that, so they'd look kind of flat. And I don't know, I haven't had any trouble with them, but I, I know exactly what you're talking about. the Difference between between the two,
0: we should do a torture test one day on the two magazines and see which you one holds. I'm not it.
2: gonna torture my hundred dollar MBX magazines. Well,
0: I'm not volunteering mine. <laughs> <laughs> um also before we go any further i have to make a correction i made a mistake on the last two shows when i was talking about the ro class that was supposed to be taking place at east alabama gun club the class is actually taking place 9 through 10 january and you still can contact ali howe at film at tds.net film foxtrot india lima mike at tangodeltasierra.net or you can call Ali Howe at 850-443-3327. Again, you can call Ali Howe at 850-443-3327 and this RO class is taking place in Midway, Florida, not East Alabama Gun Club. So I made an honest mistake. My bad. But they're <laughs> it's still bad. it's a
2: different state, but they're relatively close. I mean, between the two locations, right? Yeah, a couple hours.
0: Okay. Yeah, a couple hours. But um, yep, so that was my mistake, and I do apologize for everybody who was looking to take that. And I'm pretty sure East Alabama Gun Club probably enjoyed all the contact people <laughs> contacting them I said, in regard. We're for not having
2: a class. Yeah,
0: so to let everybody know, like we said beforehand, the RO class is taking place 9 through 10 January in Midway, Florida. Contact Ali Howe at film at tds.net or call 850-443-3327. And of course, if the sport is to continue, we need great people to be volunteers to keep this legacy moving forward. Yep. So, um, You had something you wanted to talk about and actually show. Oh
2: yeah. Show and tell. Yeah. Yeah. um, (laughs) I've never done this before, but
0: yeah. But before you do that, let's go ahead and um, let's hop into another commercial break. And when we come back, we want to talk about this piece of history that you're going to put on display right here. So everybody, please stay in your seats. And here are a few words from our sponsors.
3: Hey, this is Brian Conley with Hunters HD Gold, and you are listening to the M-W Tactical Podcast.
0: What's up, good people? Thank you for taking the time and listening to the M-W Tactical Podcast. Please go visit the M-W Tactical store at www.m-wtactical.com forward slash store, and help support our efforts by purchasing a shirt or two. If you haven't done so, go follow us on Instagram and Facebook by searching for M-W Tactical.
1: The Gun Cleaners.
4: Our solvent is, I think, second to none. Our lube is second to none. Their lube's heavier than water, which is just a huge thing. People don't really put a lot of thought into that, just how huge that is to have on your gun, especially if with still carry.
1: The Gun Cleaners.
4: Oh, yeah, most definitely. You know, you're going to sweat a lot of the other lubes off. With ours, it'll stay there.
1: The Gun Cleaners.
4: And maintaining the quality of the process, the quality of the end
2: result, is another. And you guys are able to do both with the process that you have
4: there.
1: Order your supply of the lube and the solvent at www.theguncleaners.com.
3: I'm Jason Pratt, Master Class USPSA shooter, owner of Brass Monkey Bullets. If you're interested in competition bullets, visit www.brassmonkeybulletsllc.com or call me at 423 967 1063. For more information, my email is brassmonkeybulletsllc at gmail.com. Thank you.
0: All right, good people. We're back at it again. And before the commercial break, we actually stated that the mad scientist was going to talk a little bit about some history, or he has a piece of history that's in his hands right now. So yeah, so let's let's talk a little bit about this. I do. Um, It's probably very familiar to a lot of people.
2: (laughs) (laughs) But um, this is you know, one of their original 1911s, i work. I was working on it for, um, a buddy of mine, it was his father's. And, um, he had just asked me to go through it, you know, to make sure it was safe, safe to shoot, you know, and there wasn't any problems with it, but this is, um, was actually a military, um, issued, uh, U S army. It actually says, uh, what does it say? Exactly. "Say property. Hold on. It's on the other side, United States property. And it's got their, um, their serial number on it. And it's got all the, the original cult patent information. Um, The original patent that it shows on here is from 1897. Whoa. Um, So I'm sure, you know, a lot of people know a little bit about the history of 1911. There's another patent number on here for 1911. Um, I don't know if it, if that was one of the first or, earlier one of the first times it was actually issued was I think 1910 I think when I actually started issuing them
3: mm-hmm.
2: or going into 1911 something like that but anyway I was I went through this gun and kind of, I just thought it was really cool um, piece of history and it's interesting for me to look at the the parts the components the you know the internal workings of this thing. And it is almost exactly the same as what we're using uh, over a hundred years later. So this is amazing design for, and it's still it, this one in particular is a pretty heavy trigger. But you know what we're what we're using now is is less than half of the trigger pull here. But I don't know. It's amazing to me that this thing could be designed and built over a hundred years ago, and it's still relevant today. And we're still competing, you know, at the highest levels of, of pistol competition with a design that's over hundred years old. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: one that's thing good. I've always said, once you actually look at the design of the first semi-automatic um, firearm, there's not much difference from that first one to what's being made today.
2: Although these sights are really terrible.
0: Yeah, actually, when I held it, I was that's the first thing I noticed. I was like, "Man, did they put anything on his front sight to distinguish?" It's hard to.
2: <laughs> I guess they didn't want you to actually aim.
0: No, I actually I want to say they probably put like White whiteout right. or something on it. You know, because you need something. yeah, <laughs> you gotta remember back then. <laughs> whenever they bought stuff like that, they always went with um, the lowest bidder
2: yeah and that was one thing i did notice going through here the the parts in here are pretty cheap Mm -hmm. um you know they're they're not as they're not as hard as the parts that that you know we use now but i don't think they were really meant to last that long either um you you weren't probably weren't expecting to put you know fifty thousand rounds through through a issued 1911
0: um so now with that 1911 right there and without saying the person's name because we didn't get their permission to say it publicly, do you think they actually changed anything out from like the father? Do you think he changed anything I don't, out from the original? I father? don't
2: think so. Uh, th- there's a, a little bit of a piece of grip tape that somebody put on here just for traction. Right. But um, the, the parts, the internal components look, you know just they they look like they're a 100 years old. Oh, wow. But um I don't know if they're if if this gun in particular is actually that old or not, but um it, it doesn't it doesn't have much wear. Um the parts the parts still look good. I cleaned it up, I polished some stuff to uh to smooth things out a little bit.
0: Yeah. And I remember I was talking with a couple soldiers when like when I was in the army and of course, you know, once you get a new shipment of firearms in, everybody's happy because you're getting new stuff and you ain't got to worry about it breaking as much. But in basic training, I kept telling everybody, these firearms that y'all are using in basic training are the same firearms that was pretty much used in the Vietnam era. And everybody was like, nah, man, I don't believe that. I don't believe that. And I was like, nah, all right, think about it. The military is just not going to throw something away because it's old. No, nah, refurbished. We can always use that for training. <laughs> oh, yeah. Don't, you, know, you, you don't have to don't. worry about it breaking down. and They'll piece it back together as many times as they yeah. can. <laughs> and I remember we had an issue with the front sight on the range. And you can actually call um, the work truck that comes through. And once they get there, it's a guy who pulls up in like a U-Haul truck. It's all white. But when he opens up that back gate, it is literally a gunsmith laboratory yeah oh that'd be cool every tool <laughs> every part you need and everything and you just I call need one him of those he'll come out there to the range and he actually took a blowtorch to that front sight post loose like you know loosened it up made it whereas it can work a little bit mm-hmm. and um maybe like two or three hours after he left we ran back to that same issue again but Like I said, it's one of those type things. It was, like, fascinating to see. So, but it just goes to show that that technology, because me personally, I think the AR-15 is the superior rifle. I honestly believe that, you know. (laughs) But um, it's an excellent
2: design as well, you know, long gun design.
0: the best one out there, me personally. But I always get into the argument with a lot of people who say AK over AR-15. But I, I think the AR-15 yeah. is um, more superior. Um,
2: There's, uh, AK's got some stuff going for it, but I don't yeah, know. Yeah. Now, it's, tough. it's tough to beat and AR.
0: One, one thing I do like about the AK, it is the fact like I've seen this demonstration where somebody was running it, dumped it in mud, pulled it out, and that joker was still firing. You ain't doing that with an AR-15. <laughs> <laughs> no. You know, so, um, but that's one thing I do like about the um, AK. I just don't like the AK overall. Like, I would never go out and purchase an AK.
2: There is something to say about it, though. I mean, it's, it sounds like it's about to fall apart. Like, you pick it up and shake it, and you can hear everything rattling around in it. All the Everything's so loose in there. But that, mm-hmm. I think that's one of the reasons that it, it has such a uh, high... Reliability, mm-hmm. uh, because you know you can get dirt and stuff, mud. You know, like you said, and everything's so loose in there, it's not going to really bind up too much. And and they're really over pressured, and it'll just about blow anything out of the way. That <laughs>
0: <laughs> now with that 1911 right there in your possession, mm-hmm. do you think that 1911 can easily be converted to a 2011? even though it's over, let's say, if it was over a hundred years old?
2: Well, you'd have to, you'd have to replace the frame. The, the 2011s are the upper, the slide, the barrel. Um, everything up here is, is the same on a 2011, but the lower is, is the difference. It becomes a double stack magazine um, versus a single stack magazine. So in order to do that, you need a wider frame and, and the 2011s are actually modular. So your, your, your frame on a 2011 is, is just the part that actually mounts to the slide or the slide mounts to. And then the grip itself is separate. So it's three pieces versus this being a two piece, the frame and grip, you mm-hmm. know, being a solid piece and then the slide, um, you know, being its own thing. Um, you could, um, you could take the slide and uh, barrel off of here, um, I believe. I really think a lot of the parts are just, you know, I'd have to do some measuring on it uh, compared to, you know, like what we're getting now from EGW and stuff. I know the parts are, are of better quality, but I really think dimensionally they're, they're quite similar.
0: Oh, okay. Well, whenever you talk to Buddy again, I'm gonna say Buddy, all right? Cause I don't want to say his name over the air. But whenever you talk to him, Buddy is not his name. Buddy is somebody else we know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's say whenever, whenever you talk to the owner of the firearm, yeah, if he's actually going to shoot it, um, kind of figure out a time frame when he when he's going to do it because I would like to actually be out there when that happens.
2: Yeah, yeah. So we'll do that. Like, I'd, I'd like to get some more information about it if he knows anything else about it.
0: I'm I've, pretty sure I've been intrigued. Yeah, with that serial number, I'm pretty sure you might come across a history you know, lesson with it overall.
2: I might have to just look it up, see if I can find anything on it.
0: Yeah. Now, if it was military, well, it was military issued. So I'm pretty sure if it was used during that time frame, like over the course of time, you know, practicing and in certain battles, that if something was to happen, they probably started mixing and matching parts and the true documentation was probably lost somewhere in there
1: could have been i don't know that
2: this one was was technically issued i mean it it definitely was property of the u.s army but i don't know i don't know like i don't know the history of it but yeah if it was if it was used and and shot you know much at all i'm sure that they swapped some parts out on it but hmm. I, i'd like to learn more about it but um i appreciate you letting me show off this gun yeah, <laughs> yeah man it's, it's pretty it's a
0: it's It's history. It is. It is history. history. So even when you look at certain other things and if you're somebody who who is into firearms, if you look up John Browning and look at half the stuff he came up with, how much of the stuff are we still using in today's army that he made way back in the like 1800s? <laughs> yeah,
2: know. this this one he I don't know when he designed it, but it was first patented. It says on the slide right here, 1897. Yeah, he had to design it before then. I don't know how long before then, but yeah. So.
0: <laughs> and it, it's remarkable. I, w- I watched a documentary on John Brownie, and this guy's mind would not stop. Like he just had a knack for machinery and making things work. Like he he dreamed it up, he put it on paper, and the next thing you know, they put it into motion. Like when they did that um, semi-automatic shotgun, I was like, holy cow, man, how did they even, because normally if you really sit there and you think about it, we as humans, we can't just come up with something. We had to see something to actually make it better. And they have never seen anything like that to make it better, but whatever it was, whatever they were shooting, something triggered in his mind to say, hey, I can make this an automatic. <laughs> you know? Yeah,
2: so I've, I've worked on uh, some of the M2 machine guns that were his original design also. Mm-hmm. Um, they've been, uh, there's I think they're on like the fourth generation of the thing now, but um, that was his original design. And I, I got a copy of his original prints um, this whenever we, we started making these um, parts. Mm -hmm. for the m2 and um i don't yeah just looking at the things he did you know over a hundred years ago we're still using them now they've been they've been modified a little bit but still
0: his designs got his name right there on the bottom of the drawing (laughs) (laughs) yeah it was um it was kind of funny how he did a lot of his um his dealings with you know, trying to incorporate like, okay, this is my design, but this is right here is how I want it to be named and labeled. And when he actually took his business overseas, I don't think that hurt him, but I think he was in higher demand when that took place because that's when an actual war was happening overseas and everything. So it's, it's a fascinating documentary. So, I'm pretty sure you can find it on YouTube someplace, but I've actually seen it. I think it was on the history channel or discovery channel. It was actually on TV when I seen it and it wasn't that long ago, like maybe six months ago within that time frame,
2: I'd be interested to know how many patents for firearms that he has. I've never looked into it, I'm sure well, it's.
0: They said it in that documentary. Uh, <laughs> they said it. A couple hundred, um, maybe. I don't know. It's got to be a lot. It was it was crazy how the first guy came at him because he saw he saw what it was, but he saw like how he can actually market it and put it, put it up for sale. Um, which, oh man, the rifle you
2: <laughs> like a lever action thing? Lever
0: action rifle. Um. Uh, I can't remember the exact name of it, but the guy started marketing that one. And when he did it, you know, John Browning was like, Hey, I got a bunch of other ideas I can do. So whenever they did the deal, they would actually do the deal for whatever main um, firearm they was doing Mm -hmm. plus four or five other ones. But They pretty much wanted that one, but Browning just wanted to go ahead and get all his, like, yeah, I'm working on these six um, firearms right here, but this is in the package. But of course, you know, marketing and everything, you know, they would never market it. And it it was, it was, it's a, it's a remarkable story. So you you got to I'll have
2: to check it out. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know there was a documentary on it.
0: Yeah. It it was like, I just came across it on accident. I think I was just um, flipping through the channels one day I was bored because, I don't watch TV like that and I'm literally just trying to find something that captured my attention so I could stop thinking for a little bit (laughs) and came across that so history in the making I'm
2: I'm very interested in that I mean I'm I've been fascinated by by his designs firearm designs I've been working with you know several of his designs for
0: years Um, I'd
2: like to check it out for sure
0: I want to say they talked specifically about the m2 and something was a mistake on it like however it was something was a mistake on it but it turned out to be the mistake that everybody was praising (laughs) you know um but like i
2: I don't know um now i'm definitely gonna have to go find it yeah when i got the drawings the if you made the parts exactly like the drawing said they wouldn't fit together Hmm. but i think back then there was a lot of hand fitting involved right and um, now we're we're we're, you know manufacturing these things on computer controlled machines and we're a lot more precise than you could do you know 100 years ago so it probably worked well for them to make the parts and then do the final hand fitting you know to get everything uh you know, synced up together. But mm-hmm. that was one thing that um, I noticed when, when we got some some drawings for a bolt assembly, that if you made it to those drawings, the parts wouldn't go together. <laughs> so <laughs> we had to kind of, we had to take those and make our own drawings, our own manufacturing drawings mm-hmm. for, you know, modern modern machining, modern manufacturing. But I wonder what the mistake was. I'm going to have to go look it up.
0: I think it was something about um, it overheating or the rate of fire was too fast or too slow. It it was something simple. And I mean, like when we're looking at it today, it was something simple. But back then it was something that threw them for a loop. And I think they was about to discard the project. And he actually ended up coming up with something, fixed it. And then it revolutionized um, the war.
2: Hmm. I'm going to have to check it out. Yeah, man. Like I said, it's
0: pretty interesting, really interesting. But I'm into stuff like that. It was like, um, I can't think of the guy's name right now, and you might know it. There was somebody who was a gun, he built firearms, but he had a felon, but he couldn't own one. Yeah. I read about this I guy. Know. I can't remember who it was though. Um, But he was a felon. He couldn't own firearms and he had to get special permission to do this. And he actually got the permission to actually make the firearms. It's just, he couldn't shoot them, test them or anything. He just had to like draw them and do whatever he agreed upon.
2: Was it recently? Something. I was
0: older. I, I can't remember. I want to say his crime was murder. He murdered somebody, and when he was in jail, he started having visions of um, firearms in his head. I Put them on paper. When he got out, he ended up getting a job um, with the manufacturer and putting his designs into use. Um...
2: I don't know. I that's, that's interesting
0: too. That was that was pretty interesting one also. But um, I read about that one. I haven't seen anything. On him. <laughs> And I just can't remember who it is right now. but
2: Oh, cool. That's going to give me something to do. Yeah.
0: yeah. (laughs) I I challenge everybody to look at that stuff and learn a little bit about history when it comes to firearms. Because once you look at everything that's going on in, in society today, there's a lot of smoke screens going up and a lot of behind the scenes stuff that are happening behind closed doors. But if you don't know the true history of firearms or know the true history of where we are in society today, you're never going to know where you're really going. Yeah.
2: You know? And it seems like uh, a lot of our history is trying to be covered up uh, lately for some reason or another.
0: I've always said there's no reason to cover it up. There is a reason to learn from. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Don't go down that path again, but there's no reason to cover it up. It's something that happened. Um, it <clears throat> might be ugly. It might make certain people look bad, but at the same time, it's a reminder way. not to do it again, not to let it happen again. Exactly, exactly.
2: Uh, that's what worries me. If you if you delete that stuff, people are eventually are going to forget about it,
0: and it's going to happen again. And it
2: might repeat <laughs> itself. Yeah, it's happen
0: again. And there are some things that are taking place in society today that. Are really close to what was taking place over in Germany, you know back then, you know, I'm trying to dance around it without saying stuff because I ain't trying to come up on nobody's radar <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. no, nah, yeah. uh, but it's uh, concerning, yeah, it is it really is, it really is, but the best part about it is is there are some people still fighting the nonsense, but corruption. Is something that is leading the way that is going to hurt us all in the end, you know. So, but if everybody will go ahead and contact their senators, their congressmen, go to the city hall meetings, um, go out, vote, educate people, um, just get proactive, get proactive, and that's one way change will happen. Because that old saying that there's strength in numbers. Is really true. Yep. So, you have anything else you want to enlighten the people on for this week?
2: <laughs> no more enlightenment for tonight. But I hope everyone had a great Christmas. Yeah. yeah so, no. um, you doing anything
0: special for New Year's? No, I'm planning on
2: nothing. That's that's special
0: to me. <laughs> well, I'm not one to actually celebrate the holidays like that. And the main reason why I would celebrate Christmas is because of the little assistant and it means something to her. So I'm going to yeah, yeah. celebrate it with her and let her enjoy that day, that moment, you know, the time frame. but for me, New Year's has always been a regular day for me, you know, and if anything, you know, like certain neighborhoods I used to live in, people used to go out, shoot the guns, shoot the fireworks mm-hmm. after that couple hours go to sleep like normally when the fireworks and the gunshots go off i'm in bed anyway yeah <laughs> you know so but i've been like that every since man i was a private in the military like i never really celebrate celebrated new year's
2: i i never have been big on that i've never been one to do any kind of resolutions for myself or whatever for new year's if it's i don't i don't know yeah, yeah it's uh, i'm happy that you know I've, hopefully we'll make it to a new year but
0: <laughs> that's what i always say like if anything my new year resolution will be that we become closer as a people um the system actually becomes justified for everybody equal across the board and that the little assistant is happy whenever i can make her happy <laughs> You know, so that's my New Year's resolution. No, right oh, that's good. Good, good goals. Yeah. So, um, next week, I think next week's going to be pretty interesting. Okay. Yeah. Cause next week is my birthday week.
2: Mm. Mm,
0: I think I want to, I want to do a giveaway.
2: A giveaway.
0: Yeah. Let's do a giveaway. Y'all. All right. So, I got the magazine pouch, I got an extra one. That we picked up from nationals, mm-hmm. so it holds about six magazines, I think. Yeah, I think um, so. Yeah, I'm actually surprised at the production of this case because this ain't no flimsy. Okay, we're just giving you something. This is high quality magazine pouch right here.
2: I started using one in my range bag. I use it at you know every time I go shoot now.
0: Now I started using the one they gave us at nationals the day I got it because whatever took place when I was going to my room. I spilled the drink on the magazine case and I pulled my all my magazines out and when it was drying, I just threw the new ones, the magazines into the new case and I actually have an extra case. Actually, I have two extra cases. One of them is labeled uh, race gun nationals and I think the other one is labeled either production or carry optics. I can't remember, but it's a blue, whatever, actually factory gun. Right <laughs> you <know? it's> <laughs> That's it. That's it. <laughs> So I got one that has the red label. Then I got the one with the blue label. So let's, let's come up with a way and figure out how to give that away on the birthday week. All right, we'll do it. Yeah. Figure that out. All right. So um, once again, I want to thank everybody for listening to this week of the M dash W tactical podcast sponsored by brass monkey bullets. And If anything, just go ahead and follow us on social media. Dave has already put up his compilation for what took place at the Florida section. And I am still currently putting up stages that taking place. I don't like doing a compilation video. (laughs) I'm working on a uh,
2: year in review video for for 2020. Um, So that'll be out fairly soon.
0: That's a couple hours right there. It's a lot. Yeah,
2: wow. it's a lot. A lot of stuff to go through did a lot of shooting yeah. but it's fun to go back and look through it and i have some special music that oh. i have been allowed to use for the for this video oh. so be sure to <laughs> check it out when i release it, I'll put it right there
0: <laughs> also don't forget that we have a gofundme page up and the gofundme page we're actually running two gofundme campaigns the first one being we are making a professional movie Literally, we are making a professional movie um, in regards to our journey and shooting. And the second GoFundMe page is geared around people who don't have the financial means to actually get the training that they possibly will need. Now, I know some people will say it's a privilege to shoot and all this and that, but those who are looking to exercise their rights, in a sense of speaking, they might not have the monetary means to get the training even though they have the firearm. So what has came up with this GoFundMe campaign is people donate to it. And those who are unfortunate will have the opportunity to seek out the training. And this GoFundMe campaign is just not going to be limited to this area in South Carolina. This is going to be a nationwide push. So say like if somebody was to contact me and say, hey, I live in this area. We have a screening process that we're going to put into place and everything. And then once everything is agreed upon, the funds will be sent to that instructor to make sure that student gets um, trained. So if you're looking to help us out with that one, it is GoFundMe.com forward slash um, free firearm training. And help us make some people, proud gun owners and educated gun owners in the process we need you need to
2: get out and get training it um there's been more new gun owners this year i think than we've ever had in our american history Mm -hmm. and i always always like to compare it to um like buying a a musical instrument right you know if you buy a guitar or something it doesn't doesn't make you a musician it doesn't mean you know how to play it so just because you bought a gun doesn't mean you know how to use it. it. It really helps if you go out and get some training from a qualified professional and, you know, show you the, the ins and outs of, of proper uh, firearm safety and, and how to use your gun. If you, if uh, you know, you ended up in a situation where you might need to.
0: Yep. So there you have it. So help us out with those two GoFundMe campaigns so we can actually get some stuff going. And at the same time, go follow um Dave, at on Instagram at CSRA Shooters and Facebook at CSRA Shooters. And then head on over to my Facebook page, M um, underscore W Tactical, and Facebook page m-w tactical. And if you're listening to this podcast, you can actually see the podcast also if you head on over to the M-W Tactical YouTube page as well. So um, outside of that, just Hit us up if you have any questions. Um, you know what we should do one day is do a call in. We have okay. a window. We have a window open, like a specific time, and people can call in. Yeah, we we should work that out. We could see, do that. Yeah, see what questions we can get over the air. Okay. Hmm, interesting. Hmm, let's let's plan it out a few times or so. All right. So, do you have anything else you want to share before we depart? That's
2: it. I'm just trying to. Get prepared for 2021. Hopefully we'll have a better, better yeah. year.
0: That's very true. Very this true. 2020 has just been nuts <laughs> all yeah. around. Yes. I <laughs>
1: So
0: without further ado, everybody, please stay in your seats and come back next week. But until then, here are a few words from our sponsors.
4: Are you in the market to purchase your first or next firearm, but find the atmosphere of a gun store intimidating, crowded, or uninviting? There's a way for you to purchase the gun you want while avoiding the crowds, the gruff salesmen, and the marked up prices that come with a brick and mortar gun store. The process is called a transfer, where the purchase is made in an online store or sent to a federally licensed middleman, called an FFL, who processes the paperwork and background check for a firearm purchase. CAE Transfers is the FFL with the lowest transfer cost in the Midlands at only $20 or $15 with the presentation of a South Carolina Concealed Weapons Permit and $10 for repeat customers. If you live in Columbia, South Carolina or its surrounding areas, choose CAE Transfers as your FFL during checkout and let me help you complete your online gun purchase. You can find and follow CAE Transfers online at Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram using at CAETransfers Thank you for your business, and I look forward to seeing you soon.
3: Hey, this is Brian Conley at Hunter's HD Gold. If you've never tried Hunter's HD Gold, then I challenge you to find me at a match next year. Go to the website under scheduled events, find out where I'm gonna be, come meet me in person and demo a pair for yourself.
4: Our solvent is, I think, second to none. Our lube is second to none. Their lube's heavier than water, which is just a huge thing. People don't really put a lot of thought into that, just how huge that is to have on your gun, especially with concealed carry.
1: The gun cleaners.
4: Oh, yeah, most definitely. You know, you're going to sweat a lot of the other lubes off. With ours, it'll stay there.
1: The gun cleaners.
4: And maintaining the quality
2: of the process, the quality of the end result, is another and you guys are able to do
0: both with the process that you have there
1: order your supply of the lube and the solvent at www.theguncleaners.com
0: thank you for taking the time to hang out with us on the m-w technical podcast remember a new podcast comes out every tuesday if you can't wait for tuesday go listen to past episodes to catch up on what you missed make sure you visit www.m-wtactical.com and see what all is offered on the site where you can even purchase M-W Tactical apparel but please go to our Facebook and Instagram page and follow us on our journey in the sport of competition shooting and the realm of the two-way community until next week keep shooting keep practicing and have fun